We give glory and honor to God for granting us this opportunity to share with you this is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Welcome, dear listener, to this promising session of the New Life Program. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mahangi. Lydia Acheng is on standby with the Family Life segment. Today, she will talk about arguing in front of others. Brother Ian Musu will also be joining us during the Bible session to talk about the two thieves. Marcelo Singers will start us off with the song Pazeni Sauti. Ati 
Adventist Soul Radio, the voice of hope. It is time for the Family Life segment. Join me as I welcome Lydia Haching. Listener, welcome to today's Family Life program. I'm your presenter, Lydia Aching. Today we are going to look at arguing in front of others. Have you ever been with a married couple who argue with each other as if you aren't even there with them? As the argument progresses, how do you feel? Awkward? Embarrassed? Closed in? Put upon? Uncomfortable? Yep, we do too. And we've talked to other people who feel the same way. Many times when a couple begins arguing, it's as if they put on blinders to those around them and they argue anyway. If children or other family members, friends, or even if strangers are with them, 
They will still argue with each other as if no one else is around, as if no one else matters but what concerns them. We were talking with a couple whose adult child and spouse puts them in the middle of this situation. This young couple thinks nothing of breaking out into full-blown arguments with their parents in the room. The parents have expressed their feelings of awkwardness and embarrassment, wanting them to take their disagreements into a private place to settle, and yet the arguments still go on in their presence. The couple is convinced that this is healthy to air out their differences like this, so they keep exposing these parents and others to their needling and arguing with each other. But it isn't healthy or mature. and it isn't considerate to the others in the room when two marriage partners can't settle their differences away from others we've also been with older relatives who put us in this place a few times we've been in the car with them on long trips and the arguments would break out i've felt like we were trapped in a cage and essentially we were and every uncomfortable and very uncomfortable the whole time i even started joking with them the last time saying don't let me come up there and break you Don't let me come up there and break you two apart. And yet they didn't skip a beat and kept up with their arguing as if we weren't even there. It's bad enough that they've done this in our home or theirs, but it's even more discourteous to trap guests in the middle of their arguments when everyone is in an automobile far from any place where we can simply walk away. We finally made the rule that we would We finally made the rule that we wouldn't be in a car with them. We would rather drive ourselves in peace than be exposed to that type of toxicity. One couple I read about became so desperate to get away from friends when they argue in front of them that they even developed a secret sign whereas the author wrote one of us removes his or her watch and rebuckles it so we know when it's time to go. I can't help but think of the Bible verse in Philippians chapter 2 that says Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. How are you looking for the interests of others when they are stuck in the awkwardness of being in the middle of your arguments with each other? Be kind, take your arguments elsewhere. I can't say it any plainer than this. Please don't subject others to your arguments. Please look beyond your angry situation and stop. See the other people who are around you when you and your spouse are arguing and go elsewhere to settle your arguments with each other. The Bible says there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, and this includes a time to openly conflict with each other as husband and wife. It also includes a time when it's best to not openly disagree with each other. One of those times when it is best to get away from others is during an argument. Let me repeat this. Stop. S T O P. See the other people. Be considerate and go somewhere else so they don't have to be subjected to your arguing and fighting. Also stop. See the other people. Be considerate of each other as author James Bardot says. Keep it private. Nobody wants their dirty laundry aired in front of others, and violating this rule becomes especially painful when our private affairs and faults are exposed by someone we love. So not only do other people not want to be part of your arguments with each other, you shouldn't expose your spouse to this invasion of privacy. It shows that you aren't valuing your spouse as a marriage partner. Even if he or she is the one who initiates the argument in front of others, do what you can to get out of it. Author Cherry Barbot from the article Fighting Fair gives the following advice. Consider the time and place. While it can be difficult to hold 
While it can be difficult to hold your fury when you when you first realize you've been wronged, wait until you and your partner are alone and in a place and in a quiet space. If your partner is busy at work, out with friends or in the midst of a family visit, wait until he or she can speak with you one on one alone. Gerald Foley from the article Courage to Love When Marriage Hurts wrote, "Do not involve other people. The argument is between the two of you." Young couples make the mistake of involving friends or parents, usually mothers. The damage comes later in several forms. One, a parent may, a parent will more likely remember the issue long after a couple has forgotten, or the respect and perception once held by a parent for a child's spouse will decline. Or a couple may feel uncomfortable facing the parent even after an incident has been resolved. and a parent's natural reaction is to protect a child and this reaction may cause further damage to the relationship in an article titled how to fight fairly the following information is given bringing others into a fight is not a fair way to fight it is important that the fight take place between those directly involved and that neither party elicits the help of friends or family members to validate their position It doesn't matter how many other people agree with you that doesn't necessarily make you right so don't involve others in your fight This is not only fair to your partner but it is also not fair This is not only fair to your partner but is it but this is not only fair to your partner but it is also not fair to those who are dragged into the argument While you may have many people who agree with you and believe you are right bringing them into the fight just isn't fair and also isn't effective The exception to this rule is when you are seeing a counselor or mentors who are trying to help you get to a better place in your disagreements with each other. But this is an arranged time together, so it's different. Sometimes a third party who is wise and mature or professional can be more objective and offer you counsel or advice on how to work through your disagreements in a healthier way. The best advice is given in the Bible. It states in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 2 says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. And Titus 3 verse 2 says, Remind the people to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. Those are good guidelines for us all. Those are good guidelines for us all. Again, we remind you to please look beyond your angry situation and stop. See the other people who are around you when you and your spouse are arguing and go elsewhere to settle your disagreements with each other. It will benefit all concerned. We thank Marriage Missions International for providing us with this material. Until next time, God bless you. Thank you so much Lydia for such an inspiration. We appreciate those who have given us the thoughts concerning this program. We are here just for you. For those who have never communicated to us, you can start today by writing to the producer Adventist World Radio PO Box 42276-00100 Nairobi, Kenya. Our email address is awrnairobi@ek.adventist.org. Here's a song Siri by none other than Masaliu Singh. 
Siri zangu zote wazijumba Njia zangu zote zimachoni Nikufiche jambo gani bwana wangu Uniongoze Nikufiche jambo gani bwana wangu Uniongoze Siri zangu zote wazijumba Njia zangu zote zimachoni Nikufiche jambo gani bwana wangu Nikuficha jambo gani bwana wangu uniongoze jambo gani bwana I hope that you've been looking forward to the Bible segment. Join me as I welcome Brother Ian. I greet you, dear listener, in the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome to our study today. I'm your host, Ian Muse. The topic of our study is the two thieves. Have you ever wondered how a thief condemned to death could be saved in a glimpse? The story of the thief on the cross serves as a microcosm for the plan of salvation. In the space of a few short verses, Luke chapter 23, verse 40 to 43. We see the believing thief pass through all the basic steps to salvation and experience all the elements necessary for conversion. Please don't miss the fact that both thieves wanted to be saved. However, the thief on the Lord's left did not have a saving faith. He said, If thou be Christ. If is a neutralizing word when praying to the Lord of the universe. When tempting Jesus in the wilderness, the devil revealed his identity when he said, If thou be the Son of God. Matthew chapter 4 verse 3 Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 And the word if neutralizes a person's faith. Like much of the world, the thief on the left wanted salvation from the penalty of sin, but not from sin itself. He lacked a saving faith. Jesus says, If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. John chapter 8 verse 24 We also see the believing thief pass through all the basic steps to salvation and experience all the elements necessary for conversion. He saw Jesus lifted up. Jesus promises, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. John chapter 12 verse 32 He believed in Christ as the spotless lamb of God, a perfect atoning sacrifice. This man has done nothing wrong. Luke chapter 23 verse 41 New King James Version He repented of his sins and confessed his guilt. 
and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Verse 41. He testified publicly, in spite of the prevailing ridicule, that Jesus was his Lord and King. Lord, thy kingdom. Verse 42. He asked for forgiveness. Lord, remember me. Verse 42. He suffered with Jesus, and lastly, he died with Christ, and in Christ. Even though Jesus was suffering the most intense agony imaginable, he never failed to hear a sincere cry for help. In answer to the desperate plea, Lord, remember me, Jesus says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 15 to 16, New King James Version. In essence, Jesus was saying, How could I forget you when I am hanging here for you? The devil could nail his loving hands to a tree, but he could not prevent the Savior from saving. This dying thief's earnest petition was the lone glimmer of light allowed to penetrate the darkness and suffering that enveloped Jesus. The Messiah answered with love, compassion, and power. Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Luke chapter 23 verse 43 In Jesus' final moments alive on the cross, the Father gave his Son the gift of sin, this wretched criminal transformed into a soul redeemed for eternity. For Jesus, it was blessed assurance that his life and sacrifice will not be in vain. After Jesus said, You will be with me in paradise, a wonderful peace flooded the troubled soul of this repentant thief. I believe there was a marked change in his countenance. A great calm came over him as the terrible weight from all the sins of his life lifted from his heart and transferred to the lamp of God beside him. A few moments later, Jesus called out, It is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. John chapter 19 verse 30, Luke chapter 23 verse 46. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. Mark chapter 15 verse 39. The spontaneous testimony of this Roman soldier served as confirmation that the thief on the cross was not the only one who grasped the truth of Christ's divinity. The weight of evidence was compelling, yet God always allows some room for doubt. After Jesus died, the penitent thief was left to face the mocking crowd alone. Despite the fact that his body still hung by nails, this man's soul now hung by faith in his Redeemer's word. At times, we too much trust our salvation to a silent Savior. In one sense, Suicide is exactly what it means to be crucified with Christ. However, the solution to the sin problem is not physical suicide, but ego suicide. Paul says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 7 Dead people do not get offended or lose their tempers. Dead people do not behave selfishly or harbor bitterness and grudges. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. God's word declares, 
those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians chapter 5 verse 24, New King James Version. In Romans chapter 6 verse 11, we read, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The man with a cross no longer controls his destiny. He lost control when he picked up his cross. That cross immediately became to him an all-absorbing interest, an overwhelming interference. No matter what he may desire to do, there is but one thing he can do, that is, move on toward the place of crucifixion. We must not miss the fact that accepting Jesus does not always remove the consequences of our sins nor erase the ugly scars. The result of our sins often linger long after we have received forgiveness. On this point, the repentant thief on the cross is again a fitting example. Christ's forgiveness did not spare him from an agonizing death on the cross. The salvation he received that day was salvation from the ultimate penalty for sin, not from all its temporal consequences. To say, I will give my life and strength and means to the devil and then, in the last fleeting moments of my earthly existence, I will turn to God, is the highest insult a mortal can offer God. It is something like offering an ugly, thorny rose stem to your spouse after all the beautiful, fragrant petals have fallen off. Repentance is a gift from God. Acts chapter 5 verse 31 and 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 24 to 25. We cannot predict when we are going to repent. If we have spent our lives spanning the loving invitations of the Holy Spirit, it may be that when the end comes, we will find we have grieved away the comforter and lost our capacity to repent. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3. Then of course, there is the very real possibility that we could die suddenly with no prior warning and thus be unable to repent. On a rocky hill outside Jerusalem long ago, three political prisoners were executed. But there was a vast difference between them. One died to sin, one died in sin, and one died for sin. Christ died for our sins. Now we must choose whether we will die in our sins or, by faith in Jesus, die to our sins. Now to him, being able to keep you without stumbling and to set you before his glory without blemish, with unspeakable joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and might and authority, even now and forever. Amen. Jude chapter 1, verse 24 to 25. Thank you, listener, for your time. I was your presenter, Ian Musi. It has been nice having a company. In case you have any views, comments, or questions about this show, kindly write to the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276, code 00100, Nairobi, Kenya, or email us through awrnairobi at ak.adventist.org. Until next time, I have been your presenter, Samuel Mangi. Stay safe, stay blessed. <laughs>